My name is Christopher Peter. Welcome to the Christopher Peter Review. The Christopher Peter Review provides original content discussing salient current events in our political environment, business community, global world, domestic society, and sports and entertainment. In each of the five segments, the focus will always be to center on facts, evidence, and data. The Christopher Peter Podcast is my lead segment that discusses our business community, investing in financial markets, and ideas for growth. The CRC Conversation, another key segment, discusses our public policy and happenings in our political environment. The CRC World discusses global current events that impact us here at home. The CRC Society discusses social issues and topics with a focus on improving our quality of life. Last but not least, CRC Sports will talk about sports, which is one of my favorite subject matters. Please visit www.crcreview.com weekly to experience these five podcast segments that make up the Christopher Peter Review. Welcome back to the Christopher Peter Podcast, the lead segment of the Christopher Peter Review. The focus will continue to be on discussing salient current events and topics in the business and industry environment. In past episodes, I mentioned that Americans are blessed with a free market economy that affords us with a diverse set of economic paths for each one of us to choose from. American workers have the opportunity to work supporting the production and delivery of the essential goods and services from the private sector corporations or business environment. Work to support the public projects and services undertaken by governments at various levels. Work to support research, outreach, and educational pursuits in our academic arenas. And a host of other arenas built by our innovative and entrepreneurial nature in America. Although we are socialized to be cogs in the systems, Americans have a desire to enjoy agency over their personal and professional life. Many Americans want to be able to dictate the terms of their employment to better suit their personal needs. There are a good number of people who no longer truly fit that 9 to 5, office cubicle, corporate grind, lifestyle that defines the many of the people working harder for an organization that only wants to pay you less overall. In America, we are generally socialized towards roles serving the needs of established entities. For instance, our public education system largely focuses on preparing students for their future through setting them up for the best chance for admittance to college. Once you get to college, you are prepped for opportunities to compete for positions in the large corporations for your respective fields. Of course there are other paths alternative to the college track. Opportunities in trade or military service. This value chain aims to put our youth at the best chance to succeed in life by securing the skills needed to attain a high-paying career with a stable organization, affording them growth, benefits, and a great chance of avoiding poverty. The benefit of working for established entities is the perceived job security and stability of these organizations. Serving in the military or working for the government provides someone with a clear path of entry level to retirement. Many corporations have a long history of stability, providing workers that maintain productivity and efficiency a viable path from entry to retirement. Academia provides tenureship, affording workers stability in the long term. While these career paths provide stability and security, they do not always meet the individual's personal needs. We sometimes obsess about titles and salaries, but fail to consider whether or not people are happy or feel that they have agency over their lives. I believe some people in society do not want to spend their lives making others wealthy while hoping that these distant individuals will give them a portion of the returns back with strings attached. Are you really secure in your job if these employers do not truly value your contributions or make you feel like any action you take that they deem incorrect that they can pull the rug out from under you? I believe many people are choosing to leave the traditional path of being a cog in the system in favor of having more control of their life. Recently, there was an article about the many people who left tech and one I found interesting was a man who left before he would be laid off and decided to take part in the gig economy. 
as he saved enough money to weather the storm and I believe his wife's teaching position provided the family benefits, he was able to change path, spend more time with her and his children, and volunteer. I believe he even started his own venture, gaining agency over his life while creating opportunities for others. The opportunities with the gig economy affords people an off-ramp as they aim to figure the next chapter of their story. Nowadays, there are even more opportunities available to people who want to enjoy control and work when they want to. The gig economy is essentially just a modern version of independent contracting. There have always been independent contractors. Many people were cared for at one time or another by a babysitter. Hired someone to fix something in their home when the traditional services were too costly. Back in the day, independent contractors had to rely on word of mouth or newspaper advertisements. In the current age of technology, there are plenty of apps that connect independent contractors with people who need their services, affording more people the ability to earn income from this method. Especially when the economy is stagnant. Or if people simply just need to fill budget holes. As a former Uber driver, I did find the service useful to earn income on the side. Convenient to be able to log in and provide a couple rides when available. I never looked at it as something that should provide me benefits. It simply was a service that afforded me the opportunity to bolster my income on the side. I read every disclosure and disclaimer and terms and conditions, so I was highly aware of what I was getting into. The downside with independent contracting or gig economy is the need to purchase your own benefits on the open market and set aside retirement funds on your own. If I was doing it as a primary source of income over a longer period, I would need to project income streams needed to cover benefits, retirement, and potentially other things you get from your typical profession. At the time, Uber did not offer benefits packages. But, as independent contractors, you should not really expect it. Part of being a business owner is understanding how to manage money, plan for the present and future, and allocate resources to support those needs. Being an independent contractor means you are a business owner. Let us remember what defines an independent contractor is the ability to define your own hours, processes and procedures, and means of production. The buyer is paying for the end product or service, providing only when delivery is needed and what are the agreeable specifications to accept delivery. You are responsible for the means needed to make that good or service available for delivery, at the agreed-upon price, and the time. You are not an employee, where the company dictates those, you are an independent contractor for a company called you or whatever you named it. As a business owner, you must understand what your needs are and budget accordingly. Understand how to grow revenues to meet future needs. Companies like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, and others provide you with the technology to connect with paying customers in need of the service. You should understand your performance stats while using the app to be able to project cash flow, eventually establish a budget, and invest in benefits as well as the maintenance and replacement of the infrastructure you use to provide the service. Knowing the data and acting on it will help you manage your side hustle as a viable business. I believe the gig economy is an essential part of our American economy and independent contracting is something that must be protected. Not by making these individuals employees, but by allowing industries that provide benefits and services offer products that affordably meet their needs. The push to make these individuals employees is driven by the desire to cover everyone under an insurance plan whether they currently need it or not. And to provide unions with opportunities to expand membership. But, the push once again ignores what I think people like about the pursuit. Not being a cog in the system, which makes them employees will do just that. I think many Americans, even the ones who are currently cogs in the system, want to enjoy some level of entrepreneurship. You always hear people who want to start their own businesses or ventures. I think the gig economy affords you the ability to do that to some degree. Some people may start their own delivery or logistics company using technology to provide traffic while building up their own customer base. In the past, 
the only option for people who wanted a business but did not have an idea was to franchise. Now, technology allows you to market your time or your skill set, as there are freelance apps that connect you with organizations that are looking for certain skills without the intent of expanding their current headcount. Now for the gig economy service providers, like Uber, DoorDash, and others. The question will always be whether these companies are exploiting the contractors or if they are truly providing a platform that is viable. Back in my Uber days, there were many claims by Uber of how much money you could make a year. Although I never intended to do it full-time, I was interested in seeing if the claim was true. Reading the blogs and chats, there were arguments on both sides, some users saying it is possible. Others say it is not. Based on my own data, I determined that the Uber claim of making 90000 a year was possible if I drove 10 hours a day. I was not as active as others and not consistently driving in a city. So I felt it was a reasonable claim for more active drivers. I believe the challenge for these companies will continue to be users wanting more compensation or expecting it to be more than it was ever intended to be. There will always be people who want to make careers out of things intended for employment for youths or side hustles. But, when you put out claims that a person can make nearly six figures, then there will be some who will have unreasonable expectations. From an investor perspective, you have to be somewhat concerned about the potential for a major increase in cost if the progressives have their way and the courts do not intervene. Uber and Lyft have done a good job of winning on these issues. But I do think the appeal will always be there since people are more reliant on these services for tasks they no longer want to do. And I think services like Uber and Lyft have the potential to improve the mobility of the elderly, while reducing their need to drive themselves. I think there should be some programs geared to afford them reasonable services to allow them to not have to stress about driving. The gig economy is a net positive for society. Opportunity to supplement income or keep afloat during career changes or tough times. Please continue to visit the Christopher Peter Review at www.crcreview.com. I thank you in advance for your viewership and look forward to our next discussion. Welcome to CRC Sports, where we discuss salient current events in the world of sports. In this episode, Christopher Peter will discuss the recent NFL draft, which was really good for our Philadelphia Eagles. Also, Christopher Peter will offer an interesting idea for an alternative to drafts, which is not all that radical. Personally, I am a fan of the draft, but always willing to consider new ideas. I am a big fan of drafts as well. Especially the NFL and NBA. There is a great level of pageantry. But really the build-up to the draft is what helps make the event what it is today. Since the Super Bowl, the sports world has focused a great deal on mock drafts and potential trades as well as free agency. Free agency is also important. Many teams will build their teams from a combination of the draft and free agency. Depending on their perception on the talent in the current draft class, general managers may decide that a proven talent is that path to go rather than drafting and developing a rookie. In contrast, many general managers want to build their teams around a quarterback they draft and develop as the potential face of their franchise for at least the next half decade. For months, we read the evaluations of prospects by sports journalists who have followed these players since their high school days. Watch them show their physical skill set in the annual combine event and respective pro days at their college campuses. As each event passes and new information comes to light, the rankings of players change on a daily or weekly basis. Then fans have to consider what they believe their favorite team needs and compare what the mock drafts show. For my Philadelphia Eagles, I went into this weekend hoping that we bolster both our offensive and defensive line and added a running back as I am not greatly sold on Brad Penny making through the season. I think he is a great talent. But I need to see him make it through this year and I felt we needed to have someone in place at the same time. Eagles general manager Howie Roseman did well in free agency, despite the number of starters who were eligible to leave this offseason. 
we lost contributors to our Super Bowl run. But we kept more people than I initially anticipated we could keep. I think without a doubt us Eagles fans should be happy with the outcome of this draft. There is no way to know if all these players will make the roster in the beginning of September. Some may be part of the announcements of players cut in August. But, I think we did a good job of acquiring talent that can be helpful not just this season but in future years, as some of our key players hang up their cleats. Jalen Carter was this year's challenging prospect because his talent was clearly there, but his involvement with a high-profile incident that could not be ignored. I think we have a great culture in Philadelphia that can help him put himself in the same situation. College-aged young adults make dumb decisions and think they are invincible. Unfortunately stupid decisions can have life-altering consequences. I was shocked to see Nolan Smith still there for us to take. I watched the draft with a Jets fan who was highly upset about the pick his team was left to make. And immediately turned to me once Nolan Smith was drafted and noted that at least one person will be happy tonight, you should be really happy in fact. I agree with him. Each day I believe how we brought in needed talent that could make us better. Many times the best we can hope for is that picks and signings create good competition that will make teams better during the season. I think we got players that can contribute now and in the future if their effort and drive matches their talent and potential. Much was made about tampering that fans did not even know about regarding Jonathan Gannon. I am not sure if Gannon was focused or not because we have seen him call bad games when he has put in plenty of time and effort. Just feel like he did not adapt real well when the game plan was not working. But you cannot deny that he did improve from year to year. There were less disappointing performances than previously. But if Arizona really wanted him, I wish him all the best. But at least it was settled by the teams. Now, I thought about whether draft was the best way of acquiring new talent. As you know, I am a strong proponent of free markets, so I thought of how we could implement free markets in our sports. That led me to consider whether our American sports leagues would be better served with just expanded free agency rather than a draft. Free markets work for economies, but might not be great for parity in sports. Would teams with reputation issues be able to attract free agents? In every other profession, prospective talent have the ability to determine where they work. They are free to reach agreement with any company and are not forced to work with a particular company. Of course, there has to be mutual interest. Many people could argue that they had to accept offers from companies outside their top five. Also, in soccer there are no drafts. Players are purchased or signed without the use of a draft. Does it make sense that nations with socialist economies have free market principles in their sports? and the free market economy has a socialist style of player allocation? I do think the draft is helpful and does help support a league with parity. Many workers have to work for companies they do not particularly like until they have their own free agency opportunities. But I do think that it is something to think about. In football, draft picks matters and parity makes it great and the ability to turn a team around fairly quickly keeps every city engaged. Maybe a sport like basketball does not really need a draft, because draft picks are not really valued as much as free agents. Also it has smaller rosters. The 2020 NFL draft was exciting. This was the first year in a while that I watched almost every pick. Usually I just watched the first and second. But the record number of trades kept me watching closely. Especially when I saw the Eagles on the clock when they were not originally supposed to be there. I wish the draft picks all the best. I thank you for experiencing this edition of CRC Sports here on the Christopher Peter Review. Welcome to the CRC Conversation on the Christopher Peter Review where we discuss leading current events impacting our economy, public policy, and society. In this session, we are going to have a conversation about the Biden re-election message and the early posturing by the Republican field, which is growing. In last week's society segment, we discuss whether Joe Biden should run again and does it truly make sense for him to. 
Across the board, we agree that Biden should not run again, based solely on his performance during his first term, which has yet to reach its end, but yielded so much negative outcomes compared to expectations. Shortly before the podcast episode was published, Biden released a video announcing he was in fact running again. The message focused on January 6, his distorted view of freedom, and the same themes that Democrats continue to message. Let us first focus on his version of freedom. The Biden definition of freedom is centered on normalizing fringe and controversial behaviors. Freedom to terminate innocent life to maintain irresponsible lifestyle choices. Not the traditional view of freedom in deciding our own way of life. Freedom to speak our minds or economic freedom. I think we should be able to agree that Democrats do not really support freedom. A common approach by Democrats is to use common buzzwords and redefine it to fit their ideals or distort the ideals. A marketing approach to make mental room for ideas that are not really held in the mainstream. The freedoms that Democrats fight for are not freedoms to do good, empower the people to take the reins of their lives, or advance society or our economy. I believe Democrats spend too much time messaging disinformation using the idea of freedom as the cover. Freedom should not be the convenient buzzword to advance behaviors that are controversial or immoral in nature. We should not normalize certain behaviors even if we no longer want to criminalize them. I think the fringes of both parties are on the wrong side of the controversial argument on abortion. I believe former President Barack Obama had the right idea that America needs less abortions, which was something that the pro-life movement was doing a pretty good job of. The number of abortions was reducing year over year for quite some time. Regardless of what side of the debate, that should be a good thing. More people were obviously choosing alternatives to terminating life. Choosing adoption or receiving support from government agencies or pro-life groups. I do think the Roe vs. Wade decision needed to be overturned because of legal mechanics. But we do not want this fringe argument that will not serve the legitimate arguments for either the pro-life or pro-choice sides. There needs to be some legal protections for women who legitimate medical concerns or pregnant because of rape or incest. At the same time, there are other options for birth control. Our society needs to protect life and do more to support and promote adoption. The biggest area of normalizing immoral behaviors is the length some policymakers go to normalize drug use and crime. I think we can agree that we should not jail people for recreational drug use. But, there needs to be some effort to restrict drug use in certain areas of life. It is one thing to drink or smoke in the privacy of your own home or in situations where you are not putting other people at risk. But you experience too many people use recreational drugs in public. I cannot remember the last time I drove on the Belt Parkway in New York without the clear smell of weed in the air. Do we really think that mind-altering drugs should be used while driving? I do think we need to do more to restrict all forms of smoking in public areas, protecting the public from second smoke, especially near health care facilities, retail areas, and workspaces. Our society needs to be more sympathetic towards victims of crime and the cost incurred to those impacted by crimes rather than the outcomes by those committing crime. I do believe people deserve second chances, but we need to ensure that people understand the importance of not needing that second chance. Because their victims may not have a second chance. Americans want freedom to determine their way of life, economic choices, what they can say, what they can buy, and exercise their constitutionally guaranteed rights. We do not want to advance negatives. Rather the ability to determine our futures and lifestyles. Democrats continue to treat democracy as a buzzword as well. There is a continued obsession over January 6, which continues to not be as bad as they make it out to be. To be clear it was not a positive or acceptable moment in our history, but I do not believe we should be persecuting people for simply being there if there is no real proof of an actual crime beyond trespassing. 
If rioters throughout our history were not even prosecuted for trespassing, we must be consistent with our approach. If Democrats really support democracy, freedom, and speech, we should question why they spent so much effort on restricting the voices of their political opponents. We call out efforts by dictators to restrict their opponents or even jail their political opponents. Yet, we see prominent members of our political class work to suppress the voices of those who oppose their positions. I think Americans should really be cautious of those who pretend to be the guardians of our democracy. More times than not, these people are doing the exact opposite of what they portray in front of the cameras and microphones. I think the Capitol riot during January 6th was definitely a bad moment for our society. But I do not believe it was a sign that our democracy is threatened. Rather that our democracy is strong, resilient, and can overcome challenges. The Summer of Love riots were also a bad moment for those truly pushing for more appropriate behavior and accountability by members of our law enforcement community, which are largely heroes and the fabric of our communities. Democracy is not only strong during moments of peace, but more so in moments where people have strong feelings and opinions that they wish to share. These national discourses can be difficult and uncomfortable but our democracy is only stronger when people have the ability to let their voices be heard. We do want them to do so in a manner that is safe, peaceful, and respectful of the well-being of others. Of course we do not want people breaching our capital building, burning down our cities or infrastructure, or turning to violence. People on all sides need to understand that there are frameworks of acceptable measures and ones that cross the line. The idea of good trouble is a political lie. Especially if not applied universally. The more we learn about January 6th the less it looks like a coup and more like idiots being idiots. I do think they are too broadly prosecuting people who were just there. The mass prosecutions are inconsistent with our precedents in this area. We need to stop portraying every election as a battle for the soul of America. The divisive political hysteria will not help unite America or reduce tensions between an electorate where there are a troubling amount of people who believe the other side is an existential threat to our future. There many people are the far right who ardently believe every Democrat is a socialist. And many progressives who foster hate and hysteria against Republicans. Our politicians should be working to reduce the tensions and division. But, so many people do not see that as a viable path towards political victory. A problem with our two-party system is that neither side will see any benefit in being that side that is perceived to blink. Candidates that run broad-reach campaigns are being overshadowed by the partisan purists who are the exclusive focus of media organizations, who themselves placate fringe target markets themselves. I think neither Democrats nor Republicans really want to see a rematch of Biden and Trump. But both Biden and Trump have the electoral math in their favor to make them the nominees of their respective political parties. For Republicans, they may need to give real consideration for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who does have some appeal with Democrats who are not happy with the progressive focus of their party and the current president. I am not sure that releasing a video was the best manner in announcing the launch of the presidential re-election bid. Especially a president who faces a great level of concern about his cognitive ability and age. Combined with a record without any real success but plagued with sustained failure in every aspect of his job performance. I do think that the traditional approach of giving a speech to formally announcing their bid is the best approach. But I think a video could be used if there were moments of success that could be highlighted. Biden has given so much evidence to his detractors and to the general public to demonstrate that he lacks capacity. We have seen too many gaffes and weird behaviors to feel confident that he is really qualified for another term. America and the world has regressed so much during the Biden era and there is no reason for Americans to double down on this magnitude of failure. During his first bid, he benefited from not having to travel the nation to make a case for the office. Now, 
I think many will believe that he will simply lack the energy to travel around the nation to defend his record that so many people feel is ineffective. Without a doubt, the Biden team will try to make this a divisive fight, focusing on distortions not issues. He will do everything to avoid his record and lack of success. On the other side, he may be facing a person who is a bit more unlikable. But was a better president from a policy outcome perspective for the most part. Right now it looks like a rematch. But a lot can change. I thank you all for experiencing this edition of the CRC Conversation. Make sure to come back next week to experience more here on the Christopher Peter Review. Welcome to the CRC Society where we debate salient current events taking place in our society. In this episode, Christopher Peter is going to discuss some changes in our education arena. First, the idea of equitable grading in public school systems, where grading systems are altered to consider the environment students come from. There are some understandable reasons, but real concerns for this approach. Also, parents are now seeking to work with consultants to attempt to negotiate student financial aid packages. Christopher will discuss this in this episode of the CRC Society. I firmly believe that education is the single most important factor in determining success in society. There are other factors, like hard work, interpersonal skills, and others, but in an economy that is growing more and more challenging, education is the determining factor in many fields. I had a discussion with a person before about changes in regards to job qualifications over time for many fields. That individual stated that, although they have been very successful in their career, they do not believe they would be hired because they did not have the education that many in their field now come in with. Equitable grading reportedly involves removing factors in grading that do not show the grasp of the material. Also, reducing the importance of homework as the unfortunately reality is that some students do not have the home environments that are stable. The focus of education should be developing skills in our youths that will help them succeed in careers of their choosing. Make life decisions based on knowledge and reason. Students need to have the right foundation to build their lives from. I am not one of these people who believe that we need to continue doing the same thing the same way because we always did that. Our education system continues to fail our students and underperform against our global rivals. There is a clear need for change. That said, we cannot implement change for change's sake. We must determine what change will actually make a positive difference. This is important because there are many people seeking to change our public education for all the wrong reasons. For instance, we all remember the push for a shift in educational dogma where advocates felt that students no longer needed to reach the right answer. As long as they had a really good reason. I think there is an importance in teaching students reasoning and critical thinking. But I am not sure we want them to develop the skills in misinformation and distortion. Not the skills that we want public education to be the forum for. We all should expect students to know how to add, subtract, multiply, divide, read, write, spell, reason, and other foundational skills. Many of their life pursuits will require you to be right. Do you really want a pharmacist to be wrong in filling prescriptions even if they have what they feel is a really good reason? Do we want architects, engineers or others to worry more about the excuse than accuracy? The risk is too great. The idea of equitable grading does have a good premise in focusing on activities that actually impact learning. Perfect attendance is important in life, but does not show whether or not you understand the material. Your best ability is always your availability. But grading should be a reflection of how well you grasp the material and can recall it at any time. Providing extra credit for cleaning the chalkboard, bringing in supplies, or stuff outside of the material is not really reflective of how well students learned in your class. Good behavior is essential in life, as bad people rarely get good opportunities in life. Your behaviors impact how others perceive you.
That is an important life lesson. If you demonstrate behaviors that make people question whether they should be associated with you, the less opportunities you will see. I do think good behavior and morals are something our youth need to learn, but there needs to be a way to know how well they know material. There are smart bad people. And really dumb good people. I do think it is fair to consider the home life of students when debating the workload of students. Not every student comes from environments conducive for study. And some students are forced to be adults or head of households too early in life. I think reducing the level of homework does provide a balance for all students, because those who do come from proper households still benefit as well. In a manner, you are removing that as a factor. The concerns opponents of equitable grading seem to have is that students will not do the work and will try to make up for lost time at the end of the semester. Also, that they may cheat, which is a real concern. There are many aspects in life that you cannot cram. Simply too much information to absorb and retain in short amounts of time. There will always be people that will aim to find a shortcut. Unfortunately, those will be the same people who will claim unfairness when their shortcuts no longer work. Our education system needs to provide the skills needed for success later on in life. And there is too much data that it is not doing a consistent job across the board. Too many students are pushed ahead just to get them out of the system and they struggle to find opportunities because they simply cannot compete with people better skilled. I do think that we need to find solutions that help students develop the foundational skills needed in life while considering if there are any inherent unfairness that are reasonable to address. Not everything in life is fair. Sometimes you have to overcome challenges in life that are not of your choosing. But where there are opportunities to balance without redistribution then we should proceed. I found an interesting article where a man, who negotiates prices for a living, decided to leverage his professional skill set in securing financial aid for his daughter as she prepares to attend college. People negotiate the price of their automobiles, their houses, and other areas of life. Why not at least try to negotiate college aid? In the article, this seems to be a more common approach due to the skyrocketing price of college. And the increasing interest rates. So more people are working with consultants to find additional avenues to reduce their bills. I think it never hurts to ask for more. Based on the article, one of the financial aid leaders at the university the man was trying to convince pointed out that financial aid appeals have less than a 5% chance of affording your more funds. But it means you still have a shot. There needs to be a real conversation about addressing the cost of college. Not just make people pay for it who did not benefit from it or had any role in the transaction. Redistribution is foolish. There is a need to look at opening up competition and colleges need to stop putting certain activities they do for their own institutional benefit on the bills of their students. Colleges should be able to monetize services to reduce the burden of students, not just line pockets of their researchers, who often do not fairly pay their student workers. Education is important. We need the quality to increase while finding ways for the price to decrease. We cannot continue to fail large numbers of our population and saddle others with insurmountable debt. We must embrace this challenge and find proper solutions that actually improve quality and reduce cost. Thank you for experiencing the CRC Society on the Christopher Peter Review. Please come back next week for more. Welcome to the CRC World Discussion, where we discuss salient global current events. In this episode, Christopher Peter will discuss the challenges the global economy will face with the ever-changing global politics. While we debate the negative externalities of globalization, the one positive aspect was supposed to be the deterring effect that we hoped would protect the world against potential conflicts. Nations have traditionally feuded over economic issues but nations that trade together are slower to go to war with each other or harm each other. That is not the case right now. 
as China seems to posture itself as the clear alternative to the United States and democracy-loving West, all the companies that took advantage of their cheap labor may now face the consequence of a communist nation that is becoming less tolerant of Western culture and now their brands as well. China is also moving closer towards our enemies than it is towards reality. As it has ambitions to pursue a similar annexation of its neighbor, it aligns close to Russia and is more bold in criticizing America. The growing tension in our global politics will undoubtedly impact our global economy. We have to question whether America and our allies have the resolve to stand up to another communist nation with hopes of doing the same as its nuclear partner. Seems like France is already showing some weakness in resolve being somewhat sympathetic towards the red nation. How should we handle the growing real threat with China, another nuclear communist nation with even a greater ability to harm our interests? Can you still maintain economic trade with nations that you oppose their political views and behaviors or disagree with their geopolitical stances? The Western nations were not going to continue to purchase Russian energy if Russia was going to proceed with invading its neighbor Ukraine. Although it would harm their own respective economies, we could not separate our economic interests from our political or diplomatic concerns. Rightfully so. So we should not be completely shocked that China is now showing greater hostility towards Western brands, many of whom are relying on growth and the red giant to fulfill their performance goals. Multinationals traditionally try to be neutral. For decades, we saw many American or Western-based global giants ignore human rights concerns in favor of the potential opportunity in a nation with the fastest-growing middle class at the time. As China is feeling pressure and pushback on the global stage, it is pushing back against what it feels is containment attempts by the United States and others. There are reports that many producers of technology products in China can expect to be treated as spies as the communist government may seek to seize technology to bolster their state-owned companies. They are harassing foreign brands with cybersecurity investigations and expanding domestic laws to increase tools for local enforcement to inspect and seize material from foreign entities that they deem a threat. We can anticipate that any American or Western multinational with divisions there will be visited and questioned. Depending on what is made there, we should be concerned that they may seize it. Hindsight is always 2020, but we need to take these threats more seriously now and start to reduce our dependence on cheap low-quality labor and start producing more domestically or increased trade with our NATO allies instead. The American economy is still greatly reliant on manufacturing from China, even medical products. It has been over three years since the start of the pandemic, yet we have not learned our lesson. A good amount of our technology inputs are made in a nation that is the target of China's military ambitions. Hopefully, the CHIPS Act will help reduce this dependency and that innovation here can make that technology obsolete. In a perfect world, America would be able to engage in trade with China in a fair manner. But that is not on the communist agenda which is consistently proven to game the system and cheat. Yet, America and our allies are consistently hesitant to hold them to account or push back. China should not be exempt from climate accords. The biggest manufacturer will naturally be the biggest polluter, especially since they do not care about sustainability, clean production, or even human rights. So what can we do to address this threat? America could reasonably afford to reduce imports from Russian energy because we are not major trade partners with our former Cold War foe. The move did impact us because there continued to be a lack of common sense in that action. On the other hand, we will not be able to cut ties as quickly in the event of an invasion of Taiwan. We already saw that China will halt exports to us. So we should be more diligent in reducing our activity in favor of domestic production. More should be done to prevent inputs critical to not only our military, but our economy as a well. We need to halt investments from that tie back to China, Russia, Iran or North Korea. There is not a question of whether these nations are a threat. We have seen too much to ignore the threat. I thank you for experiencing this episode, The CRC World. 
Come back for more each week. I thank you for experiencing this episode of the Christopher Peter Review. Please continue to visit the Christopher Peter Review at www.crcreview.com.